This is Deb Donig with Technically Human, a podcast about ethics and technology, where I ask what it means to be human in the age of tech. Each week, I interview industry leaders, thinkers, writers, and technologists, and I ask them about how they understand the relationship between humans and the technologies we create. We discuss how we can build a better vision for technology, one that represents the best of our human values. For our last episode of the season, I sit down with Rebecca Tweed to talk about the topic that has animated my research for the past year, the future of what I have been calling the new profession of ethical technology. As listeners may know, for the past year, I have led a team of researchers for the National Science Foundation to explore this new profession, to assess what it means, and to proactively define it in order to ensure that workers in this profession can succeed in these roles and that they can make the ethical difference that they were hired to make. So I was especially excited to talk to Rebecca, the creator of the Responsible Tech Job Board, which features roles that are focused on reducing the harms of technology, diversifying the tech pipeline, and ensuring that tech is aligned with the public interest. It's the first job board of its kind. It attracts both hirers and job seekers who are interested in creating ethical change in tech, and it is already changing the industry and defining the field. Rebecca Tweed is a leader in responsible technology careers, talent, and hiring trends. Alongside her role as the curator and creator of the Responsible Tech Job Board, she is the program director at All Tech is Human, where she heads up various programs, including their mentorship program and their university ambassadors program. She is also the co-chair of the IEEE Global AI Ethics Initiative Editing Committee and a member of the Arts Committee. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Deb. So, Rebecca, it's great to finally have you on the show. You and I connected over the Responsible Tech Job Board, which you created and which you run through All Tech is Human and which, and I'll quote your website here, curates roles focused on reducing the harms of technology, diversifying the tech pipeline, and ensuring that technology is aligned with the public interest. I'll get to the job board in a moment, but first I wanted to ask, what led you to create the job board in the first place? What were you seeing or noticing or thinking about that led you to want to assemble a curated list of jobs exclusively at the intersection of tech, ethics, equity, and public interest? I'll give you a little quick background first. So very briefly, I got here by way of the music industry. Uh, My background is in communications and PR. I was a music publicist for about a decade, got into writing music tech features, and began looking into different startups that were coming through music tech incubators. So like Techstars Music, Abbey Road Red in the UK. I started stumbling onto some technology that I found questionable, especially around facial recognition. This was around um, 2019. So the more I started looking into what these technologies actually do, and especially how far out in front of any kind of regulations or safeguards they are, I started to realize that while my own point of entry was the music industry, I could see these technologies being deployed across industries, affecting all of society. So that was what initially caused me to want to pivot into responsible tech and leave the music industry. From there, I joined the IEEE's Global AI Ethics Initiative, volunteering for the Arts Committee in July of 2020. So we were looking at you know, thorny issues around like how does artificial intelligence affect artists and musicians when it comes to things like intellectual property, copyright, distributed authorship, things like that. So 
that organization, and especially the executive director of that initiative, John C. Havens, kind of opened me up to that whole world of AI ethics. And I started realizing there were many people who had been studying this for years. And I started getting involved with volunteer organizations. So one that really stood out to me was All Tech is Human. So I started volunteering that organization around August of 2020. And it was around that time I started thinking about putting together a responsible tech job board. I had committed to making a career pivot myself, and I was trying to make sense of what are the actual jobs in the field. I was pretty narrowly focused on responsible tech type teams or AI ethics teams within the tech industry. But even with that fairly narrow focus, I was seeing there wasn't really an agreed upon nomenclature. It was really challenging to, to search for these jobs, to know what the keywords were. Because I realized what a challenge it was for me, um, I realized that was probably a challenge for other people. So I had a ridiculous number of keyword searches that I would have to do across every job platform. It was, you know, responsible AI, ethical AI, responsible innovation, AI ethics, algorithmic responsibility, digital ethics, data ethics, data responsibility, and then, you know, ethical and humane use, things like that. So that was when I really started realizing I wanted to put together a list, not just for myself, but for other people who I knew were looking for these types of roles. And from there, I, I really started to understand the, the breadth of the field and the job board took off pretty quickly. Like I realized a lot of people cared about it right away, which was very gratifying that this was a helpful tool for people. And there were a lot of uh, tips that I received really quickly too, about what was going to be most beneficial for the most people. So started really broadening the job board quickly. It's much bigger than just, you know, harm mitigation at big tech. So it's really expanded to include third parties that would work to mitigate harms, like algorithmic auditing startups or teams, you know, at global consultancies, nonprofits, think tanks, research institutes that study these questions. And then also, you know, things like tech policy and a big one, like trust and safety roles and work going on to create safer online spaces and even things like accessible UX design and tech roles within government at the federal and city and state level um, to build tech products for the public good. That's basically um, you know, how the job board came about, what I thought was important to focus on and kind of what it's expanded to become. You know, this is so interesting because there's a lot of public conversation right now what some folks have called a tech lash about the negative unintended consequences of technology and a lot of thinking about ethical or responsible or humane technology. But now I'm curious about the jobs themselves because I hear terms like ethical hacker, which is essentially somebody who has the skills of a hacker, but is using them to perhaps figure out points of penetration in a cybersecurity context or something like that. I'm not sure that that's an ethical job, but it gets the term, you know, for example, white hat or ethical hacker. So what makes a tech job ethical or public interest or responsible? What criteria do you use in selecting a job as belonging on your job board? It was at first for me, just kind of my own sense of what I thought should belong on the job board. Around January of 2021, I teamed up with All Tech is Human um, to put the job board together with David Ryan Polgar, the founder and director of that organization. And it was at that time where he really helped me hone in on what should be considered a responsible tech role. And of course, it's evolving all the time. But at this point, it, it was through 
you know, connecting with David and really focusing on, you know, what does the field look like and what are the criteria that really should matter most? Kind of the three things that we really thought needed to be emphasized were mitigating the harms of technology, diversifying the tech pipeline, and ensuring that tech is aligned with the public interest. So these are kind of the questions that we ask anytime I'll come across a job, and this is what I look at. It's become kind of a three bucket approach of where we're broadly looking at like AI ethics and data privacy, these types of jobs, trust and safety and a safer internet, and then also public interest technology. There are other types of jobs that could be included in under you know, certain circumstances. And a lot of times it kind of depends on the, there's a consensus within the community. If people within the all tech assuming community are asking about certain types of roles or are, are studying a certain topic and it's something that they're interested in, we'll consider branching out into other spaces. And cybersecurity is actually a really interesting one that has been coming up a lot recently. And so some of those roles we are including um, on the board. So it it just feels very fluid that it we have a, a strong set of criteria at this moment in time, but there's the community itself kind of shapes how the criteria evolve and what types of roles we want to include going forward. Okay, so let's like do a flash round. I'll say the job title and you tell me whether or not it belongs on the irresponsible tech job board. Okay, <laughs> so ready? Okay. AI ethicist at Google. Yes. Cybersecurity expert for a hospital preventing ransomware attacks. Ooh, that's a good one. Not yet, but probably at some point that would be included. Data scientist for all tech is human. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we have kind of like a terrain <laughs> here based on this flash fire answer. No, it like it gets kind of shaped around like the primary focus is the role itself, not necessarily the organization or the company. If the role itself is at the intersection of tech and society, it gets consideration for inclusion on the board. But there are some cases where if the organization itself is all about the intersection of tech and society, then it gets really challenging of how, you know, how broad do you go? Do you include the data scientist? Yes. Do you include, you know, someone in like operations or, you know, HR? And that gets challenging because I would say actually like, no, that doesn't really belong, but you could make the case that it does. So, but because the job board at this point in time is primarily just me, like I'm the one spending time doing it. I, I am limited by like not only the criteria that we choose for these roles, but also the amount of time that I have. So while I think you could make a case that the job board could continue expanding and there are things like what we just described around does the organization itself qualify so such that every role at that organization can be included? You know, no. But then there are also considerations like it's an international job board, but I'm limited to, you know, English speaking roles. And at this point, I, you know, I would love to have the ability to include more staff and have someone that's focused on different regions, uh, you know, internationally. Um, and then, you know, people who are focused on each kind of subset that we've already talked about. So I find that is one kind of limitation with the job board, that there's the philosophical sense of what actually should be included, what is my bandwidth for making that happen. Um, but then there's this other element that maybe is also relevant to what we've been talking about. And that is, you know, there's what a company or an organization purports to be about or what these roles or teams are apparently supposed to be about, and then what the role actually is. And so there's this entirely new level that I've had, I've found myself having to put a lot more energy into determining, okay, well, if a role, you know, purports to be an ethical tech team, how much due diligence is on me to really dig in and figure out, do they do what they say they're doing? 
And that gets a lot more challenging. So free speech ethicist at Facebook? Yes or no? <laughs> um, right. So <laughs> it's not a yes or no. And actually, I mean, we could go back to, to like AI ethicist at Google. That's not a yes or no either, even though I said yes. These questions are, it's the next level of um, challenge for the, for the job board because, you know, at first it really was. I, I was so excited to just see that these teams existed. And of course, that it's not that simple. And so it's it's just a totally different situation now that I find myself having to ask questions about whether it's not just that the team exists or whether the rules are here to put to be put on the job board, but there's more to it. It has been an increasing challenge, practically speaking, for me to vet the the roles, the teams, and the companies um, when it comes to the job board and deciding what to include. It's one thing, you know, to have a set of criteria when I'm taking a company's claims at face value, but it is another thing to evaluate the sincerity of that company's claims. And so now I've been doing it long enough um, that I have my own sense of how teams are operating and kind of reputation these companies have developed. And I hear from candidates. So, you know, if a company is overselling their ethical stance, I'll hear about that. And on the other side of things, I've also been warned, you know, from hiring managers that teams are being formed without a true commitment or a deep understanding of ethical tech. And then when there are these new teams that pop up, which is an entirely different thing that I've been excited by seeing these teams pop up outside of just the tech industry. But anytime a new team pops up, I have to kind of wonder, like, what's the nature of this team and what will this be like? And some of those teams that are developing, I started seeing these teams in companies that were kind of just as varied as across different types of industries like finance, you know, or healthcare and, you know, seeing these roles pop up at like Mayo Clinic or JP Morgan or American Express or PayPal, US Bank, Walmart, IKEA, H&M, and recently Thomson Reuters and Pfizer have both started teams. So it's like you see the development where it's just really growing, which is a great thing to see, but of course it's complicated. And just because a team is starting somewhere doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be like fully committed to ethical tech or to varying degrees um, from company to company. And at this point, it's, it is actually very much a challenge for me to do that kind of vetting every time I post a role. So the philosophy that I've kind of had from the beginning is, you know, and it, it kind of fits in with all tech is humans overall philosophy of basically staying open and keeping the board as open as possible, allowing job seekers to make their own decisions about where they want to contribute and apply. But that is getting harder and harder to maintain because I think because I've been in the field long enough now that consensus develops and there are like deep problems with some of these teams. So it it's really evolving and it's something that I speak to my team about and then, you know, really kind of press myself on those questions frequently as well. I wanted to pull out a thread of something that you were saying earlier when you were talking about, you know, these new responsible jobs at The Gap, (laughs) as well as at tech companies. And now you're making me think that what I've tried to characterize as an ethical technology movement might be even broader than that. It might be just a kind of corporate responsibility conversation that the culture is having as a whole. So what's your take on the reasons or the causes behind this growth in the job market for the ethical or responsible technology workforce? Is it connected to other trends at work at large, or is it something specific to the industry? How are you thinking about this? 
Yeah, right. So from conversations I've had, it really does feel like as, you know, in some sense, every company becomes a tech company. You know, any company that is utilizing machine learning or is dealing with vast amounts of user data all in some sense needs a department like this and a team like this to evaluate what they're doing. So I think ultimately it it came out of a necessity. And I think that will continue happening, that more and more companies will start forming these departments to address these issues. And I think it can be for a number of reasons. Some might be more PR focused, but I think there are real risks that companies are trying to mitigate by having these kinds of teams to address these issues before problems arise. Have you seen changes in the kinds of jobs or the job market as a whole since you started tracking and collecting these jobs? If so, what, what kind of changes have you noticed or seen? I mean, honestly, the biggest change I have seen is the expansion of the types of companies that are forming these teams. It isn't just the tech industry. Every company really does need this type of team. And so they're they're forming quickly. And even just within the past month, like it, it's been seeing a new team forming at Pfizer. And then like, you know, the month before that it was Thomson Reuters that's like developing a team. And um, it just feels like that kind of thing. The pace of the formation of these teams is, you know, is really increasing. I foresee that continuing. You know, it's so interesting. I was listening to you narrate how you got to starting to think about the ethical technology job market. And it got me reflecting on my own reasons for wanting to and my own genesis for starting to track the uh, job market myself. I've been tracking the job market for a while, ever since Salesforce hired Paula Goldman for what at the time was a kind of novel work, a chief ethics officer role. I remember that moment. It was about 2018. And I'll quote the press release from 2018, uh, which is when she was hired. She was hired to develop a strategic framework for the ethical and humane use of technology across Salesforce. And I remember at the time thinking that that was a really new thing that I was seeing. Of course, her hire came in the wake of a couple of really important milestones, the alarm and suspicion about tech following the news that Facebook may have changed the outcome of the 2016 election via the proliferation of fake news and Cambridge Analytica's clandestine collection of user data from the Facebook website, and new ethical concerns about the possibilities of deep fakes. I think that that was an ethical concern deeply tied to the music industry as well. I remember the Tupac hologram, all of these questions about authenticity in, in the music industry and in the film and television industry, and then in the political landscape as well. As I remember Jordan Peele was giving a speech with Obama visibly looking like he was saying the words that Jordan Peele was uh, speaking. Um, his face had been manipulated to to look like it was saying preposterous or absurd things. We were really concerned about the authenticity of what we could see on screens or our ability to believe in what we could see. Of course, 2018 and that time was the revelation that Wells Fargo employees went so far as to create phony PIN numbers and fake email addresses to enroll customers in online banking services in order to boost their own sales and make money. And that I think was a moment that really caused the public to become increasingly vocal about the ways in which a homogeneous demographic of tech workers and the assumption that tech products and practices were neutral had 
ultimately manifested in deeply harmful biases in tech products. And when those tech products and those assumptions had been embedded in social structures, that in turn had ossified and was increasingly ossifying social inequalities. And then, of course, I remember in 2017, many of us were deeply frustrated with and upset by the fact that tech leaders in the industry who had amassed a great amount of political and social uh, capital and also money had been relatively inert and silent when the political climate largely under the Trump administration started harming vulnerable populations, often through the use of tech products. I think with all that in the background, there was a kind of new emergence of a discourse or criticism about the tech industry and its products. So what I remember seeing in about 2018, when I started to track the rise of ethical technology jobs, was this kind of you know mistrust in tech, the kind of disappointment in the utopian vision of technological progress and technological products as this ushering in this new kind of harmonic globalized era. When I started to track the ethical technology job market, my decision to call that job market the ethical technology job sector had to do with that first job that I saw at the chief ethics officer at Salesforce. And I've been thinking about that growing job sector ever since. Was that somewhat of what you were seeing? And what do you think has led to the rise of this new professional category, not just jobs scattered across the web, but but this, I really truly think it's a new professional category of ethical or responsible tech jobs. I completely agree. And I think because I came to it a little later than you, responsible tech might have been a late, little bit of a later term, I think. So around 2018, like kind of a similar time period, I was, you know, one of the first things that sparked my interest was Taylor Swift's performance at the Rose Bowl. So her whole reputation to her, but specifically the Rose Bowl was where, what I had heard about that she had hired, you know, a security company to set up a kiosk that would play rehearsal footage. So it was installed with facial recognition cameras. And the purpose was to try to lure in any of Taylor Swift's, you know, hundreds of known stalkers. So when I heard about that, Rolling Stone wrote about it, all kinds of, you know, ethical questions arose, you know, is it okay to capture biometric data of thousands of people without their consent? Is it relevant that it's for the safety of one person? And, you know, how much of our privacy are we willing to trade for safety? And of course, the pace of technological progress moves so quickly. Do we as a society even have a chance to have these conversations or to have a say in the technology that's affecting our daily lives. Um, so I had like a few of these types of moments myself. But the big one for me, the big catalyst was January of 2020, Kashmir Hill broke the Clearview AI story in the New York Times. And that was, I think, the moment when I really decided for me, I had to make a, a pivot out of uh, an industry that I felt like was, I enjoyed writing about music, but this was so much bigger than that. And it was just something that compelled me to, you know, change my life. And I feel like that moment and then the following spring when the Black Lives Matter protests were happening in the wake of the George Floyd murder and facial recognition tech was being used on the protesters. That was another like key moment that really sparked my interest in pivoting, you know, as a career. I think journalism is responsible for a lot of raising public awareness about all of these aspects of how technology impacts society. I think in the wake of those types of very public breakdowns of you know how technology is being used against society in all of these different ways. I think that's been a catalyst for a lot of people and the public, we're talking about people who are consumers and also people who are the talent workforce for tech companies. And I think 
it makes a major impact seeing all of these types of stories, all of the instances that you referenced and how they continue. You know, Clearview AI is still still at it. So it's it's like these stories become more and more frequent. And I feel like you have the general population that starts to care about these issues. You have the workforce care about these issues and people who will be entering the workforce, people who are entering universities. And I think there's been a convergence of all types of university academic programs that are being built around these types of roles that are popping up in different companies. It feels like those are happening simultaneously. One is feeding the other. And the Pitt UN at New America's Public Interest Technology University Network, it's it grows every year. And each of these universities, there are so many different academic programs that are developing around this. And it just feels like the time is right for things to just happen. I do believe that journalism has made a major impact in raising awareness for the general population and that that starts to feed the whole cycle of university academic programs forming and companies forming these teams and how those feed and it's symbiotic. So let's go back to that flash round that we did. I know that there's a wide range of uh, ethical technology jobs and what those jobs can look like, but what does a ethical or responsible tech job look like? What are some of the kind of consistencies across the wide spectrum of ethical technology functions and ethical technology jobs available? What kinds of work do responsible technologists do? Yeah, in the simplest of terms, you know, these jobs are socio-technical roles. They address tech's impact on society. You know, this can look like AI ethics, data privacy, trust and safety, tech policy, public interest tech. I think these roles work to mitigate harms at tech companies and at non-tech companies, at, you know, startups and global consultancies. So these can be machine learning researchers or software engineers, data scientists, accessible designers, program managers, tech policy professionals, trust and safety pros, the type of work included in the responsible tech in the job board and just in the field at large, it's really very broad. What I come across most often, the skill set that's required for these types of roles, it's centered up around technological skills. So a background in computer science, data science, information science, paired with a social sciences or a humanities background of ethics, philosophy, sociology, psychology, political science. And then this third component that I hear about from hiring managers all the time is that a skill set that is steeped in product, having product experience, business experience, that these are kind of the three components that are most valued in these types of responsible tech roles. So I asked this follow-up question because I work with a lot of undergraduates who may not have product experience or who might not have had experiences in other roles. Is this kind of a job market that's opening up to disgruntled tech workers already in the industry who want to do good? <laughs> or are there options for those of us who have not been in the tech industry previously or are coming without experience to go into these roles? So what I'm finding, it it does feel like at the start, these teams are looking for, <laughs> as you put it, like disgruntled tech workers that are, you know, looking to pivot into these types of roles. They are looking for more experienced talent. But as those teams mature, they flesh out their teams, they hire more entry level roles. The more mature teams and departments are looking for these entry level roles. 
in addition to senior and mid-level talent. The people within the all tech as human community, there are a lot of students. And what I tend to find is that the students have more success entering responsible technology through not so much the tech industry, unless they wanted a a role within the tech industry that was not explicitly responsible tech, but nonprofits and government and, you know, looking more toward civil society and other sectors um, and gathering that kind of experience to then take to the tech industry and to allow these teams um, to have more time to mature because the more time goes by, the more opportunities are available. But it is still the case that it's, it's pretty challenging. There are internships, there are fellowships, but they're very competitive. We're not overflowing with opportunities in those spaces yet, but gaining some experience, a few years of experience in a different sector, and then taking that into uh, the tech industry is, is what tends to, to be like the, the advice I'll give students. So a couple of options there too for disgruntled academics, professors. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is coming in from civil society. Very yeah. true. Okay, so noted. I know <laughs> I want to ask a kind of behind the curtains question here. I know that the responsible tech job board also has a back end structure where hiring managers who post jobs on your board can have conversations with one another in a Slack channel community. Do you watch those conversations unfold? What kind of conversations are they having? Yeah. So it is really interesting to see hiring managers posting jobs directly within the Slack group. There's a channel explicitly for, you know, jobs and career, and a lot of job connections are made that way. And actually, like the first paid role that I found in the field was through was through the Slack channel. Like there's a lot of that happening and it's really excellent to see that. And but what's almost, you know, more valuable and very interesting is to see um, the effect that the Slack community has the job seekers themselves do post things about um, their experiences within the hiring process. So you'll see, you know, the ethics watching that we've kind of been touching on, job seekers will talk about that within the Slack group. I think that will end up having a really positive effect on the industry because the workers themselves, like the the talent workforce, you know, they compare notes. And I've I've seen candidates talk about their interview experience and things like that. So I, I think I think the community within All Tech is Human and the Slack group is a place where really important conversations take place and networks are deepened there. But then also these kind of behind the scenes conversations that really do put positive pressure on companies to like, you can't just say it's an ethical tech role because candidates talk. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you share a little bit about what the candidates say? It's okay if the answer is no. What I what I will say is, you know, for instance, a candidate, you know, will go through, you know, they'll say, hey, I went through like four rounds of interviews and there's a big mismatch between the level of commitment to ethics from people at various levels of the organization where a, a candidate would feel uncomfortable going through the whole process and accepting a position at a company where like, you know, if different levels of the team were not all committed to ethical tech, for example. Got it. This is an interesting point because some folks, and I include myself in this, look at some of these jobs with a fair amount of side eye. I I mean, as excited as I get that people who care about or are equipped to assess and contribute to uh, ethical discourse and an ethics of ideation, production, design, and distribution in the industry, I sometimes wonder about the efficacy of and also the industry logic behind these jobs. I mean, they might be ethically inclined, but they're also great PR, right? Also, if the industry can get out ahead of the critical discourse, this 
TechLash by responding to it with ethical workers, then they can maybe create structures for regulation on their own terms, rather than having to potentially uh, accept unfavorable commitments to a certain standard of conduct, not on their own terms, or (laughs) as we might otherwise call them, laws and regulations. I mean, if they hire ethical workers, then they get to gain social capital for doing that. And then they create an opt-in structure where they get to decide whether or not to follow their own ethical recommendations rather than being bound by laws or bound by regulations, which might move more swiftly without the companies internally regulating through these kinds of ethical hiring gestures. Uh, Also, there's a second question that comes up for me. Are these workers actually able to do the jobs that they have been hired to do? I so often hear stories like that of Yael Eisenstadt, who was on the show a while back, who was hired to do work at Facebook in global election integrity and then was systematically shut out of meetings when she was hired. Her recommendations were ignored and who more or less became somebody who was used by the company as a kind of figurehead to virtue signal their election integrity posture publicly while not doing anything internally and keeping kind of business as usual. And as long as the incentive structures don't change, and you can hire as many ethical or responsible workers as you want, but if the incentive structure is still unconscionably hasty growth, maximizing for profit, creating value for shareholders, and also if your CEO is either bound to or driven by that incentive structure to maximize profit, then it doesn't matter what recommendation your ethics team makes. You can have a phenomenal ethics team. And if your CEO is maximizing for profit, then it really just doesn't matter. Uh, It doesn't matter how many ethical workers you have. It doesn't matter how equipped they are to make ethical recommendations or interventions. So I guess that's where my cynicism comes in. Am I being too cynical? (laughs) Talk me out of my cynicism. (laughs) I I wish I could, but I mean, no, you're right. You what you're saying, especially about like Yael Eisenstadt's experience at Facebook. I mean, that reminds me of like the music industry. Like if a record label owns an album, you know, an artist could do all the creative labor of cutting a record, but if the label decides to shelve it for whatever reason, they can do that. Um, and then the artist has no power to do anything. And I feel like some of these companies like Facebook and Google, effectively, you know, tech companies can take the brightest talent and bury their work and neutralize their efforts. The next, you know, Timnit Gebru or Meg Mitchell or Yael Eisenstadt might decide not to go to that company. So there's a cost associated with a company doing that. I feel like people talk, people talk within the all tech as human community. Um, You know, I, I doom scroll on Twitter all the time. You see plenty of conversations about what companies are doing and what these teams um, really look like. And I think you can't do what Google did and think it won't have an impact on talent attraction and retention. And if you want top talent, but you're going to shelve their work, they will go where they can have an impact. (laughs) I am cynical also, obviously, but I, I do feel like these efforts are one part of the puzzle. I think these strategies for actually making a change within the tech industry, it's multi-pronged. I think you're exactly right that as long as the incentives are the way they are, the impact is going to be stymied. Um, But I feel like every method does need to be utilized. Pushing to make changes to the incentive structure, pushing for regulations. Um, But I think internal pressure is necessary too. And 
as long as this is the existing system and as long as specific companies within big tech are creating tech products that are used across society, there needs to be people on the inside doing what they can to impact these products. Um, I feel like it's just kind of a long game. And I think all of these different, there are different ways to exert pressure and uh, against those in power. And I feel like this is one important way to do it, even though I very much share your cynicism. I'll see your cynicism and raise you an extra level of cynicism because not only do I have cynicism about the industry around hiring ethical tech workers, I also have some cynicism about the ethical tech discourse within which I am a participant and within which you are a participant because it too is now almost an industry in and of itself. The protocol piece that cited both of our work had the title Tethics. That, of course, is a reference to HBO's Silicon Valley season six. And famously, in that last season of the show, the fallen villain of that show, the CEO, Gavin Bilson, who is greedy, power-hungry, vain, and diabolically intent in ruining the protagonist's small startup, decides that he is going to regain his stature in Silicon Valley by spearheading an ethics campaign and forcing everyone else in the industry to sign onto it in a pledge of technologically ethical conduct, or what he calls tethics. So the idea of Gavin Bilson, the villain of the show, starting an ethical technology movement, and spoiler alert, by the end of the show, he winds up a professor of ethical technology at Stanford University, is funny until you realize that there are really some shades of truth that lie behind it. I'm starting to see actors who have participated in unethical technology uh, oftentimes in the process, making a fair amount of profit from it, show up on ethics task force boards or writing ethics think pieces or funding ethical technology initiatives at universities. And just to clarify, I would not consider opening up the Facebook Center for Ethical Technology at Cal Poly. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much money they'll give me. So ethics in the tech industry seems to me to almost be a new form of social capital. What's your take? Um, yeah, I agree. I think that cynicism is totally warranted. I do think it's a marker, I guess. It's a marker of the increasing power of the movement, though. I think if people currently in positions of power feel like it is in their interest to imitate the real thing, that's because ethical tech is actually becoming a force. And I think they know they have to at least seem to care about it. So as it's gaining steam as a value culturally and workers increasingly care about this, customers increasingly care about this, I think companies realize they better at least appear to care about this. And I think it's up to us, all of us, the community, to hold them to account, to make sure it's not window dressing and to not let them get away with ethics washing um, and to call that out when we see it. And I think labor has such a big role to play here. Companies rely on their workforce and they compete with one another for top talent. Ethics washing is is ultimately bad for a company if top talent that care about these issues more and more, they're not going to go to places where they know that either they will have no impact, their work will be shelved, they'll be silenced, they'll be fired. This matters. And I think moving forward, that's something that does give me hope. I feel like within an appropriately cynical perspective, I do hold on to that, that I feel like we as you know consumers, as citizens, and as a labor force really have a lot of power 
to make an impact within these tech companies and on on their practices moving forward. How do you think about ethical task forces or jobs opening up in some of these deeply unethical companies that want to hire ethics officers or data ethics coordinators, et cetera? The data ethics coordinator at Meta, for example. Should we see this as good news or are you cynical? So when I started the job board, I was very naive. And so at that point, the, just the existence of a responsible tech team uh, made me feel, you know, relief and excitement and hope. The first time my skepticism was really triggered was uh, when Axon, the company that makes tasers and body cams for law enforcement, had an opening for their internal AI ethics review board. And the idea that they were considering pursuing facial recognition for body cams and that in the past they've convened ethical AI evaluators that have recommended Axon not pursue these plans, but the company isn't bound by any of these findings. That was one of my first experiences of really having to ask these questions that you and I are talking about today. It's something that does pique my cynicism, I would say. And so I do feel like, like we've kind of talked about, the the job board is where practically these questions um, get played out for me. So for instance, I did not put that axon role on the job board. There are similar types of instances where I choose not to include something that is to me, feels so blatantly antithetical to responsible technology. But I I do also, for the reasons that I have spoken about, do feel like there's there's some silver lining to that in that these companies feel pressure to at least make a showing or look like they care about this, although it's just taken with a humongous grain of salt. If you were teaching the next generation of undergraduates, humanists and technologists, people who might be going into these roles, What kinds of things would you want them to know? What would you or what could an ethical technology curriculum or major even look like? I think a lot of universities are putting a lot of thought into this question and are creating academic programs that are uh, including learnings and skills that are going to be very important that companies are looking for. I think one thing that might be missing is that product component. I feel like there's a lot of attention paid to making sure that there is a strong um, sense of sociology and ethics and how technology impacts society. There's also an, an emphasis on tech skills, but then there is also like how this is going to play out within a company. And I think that's what industry is looking for. And that is something that I think universities could benefit from including in, in an academic program. Where do you see the discourse on responsible technology going in the next few years? What issues or topics or concerns do you think that we need to be or we need to start addressing? What keeps you up at night? The most pressing issue that is the most troubling to me, and there are quite a few, we've touched on a lot of them, but I I really do think the the intractable problem of safe online spaces of disinformation and the effect that it's having on democracy. I think unless we solve that problem, we're in big trouble as a society. And I feel like that is the the area of emphasis that really deserves the most attention, the disinformation and the algorithmic impl- amplification of that disinformation, kind of as a like, two-pronged problem that very much needs a solution if we are going to make it as as a democratic society. Do you think that we have a tech workforce or an ethical tech workforce that is equipped to address those questions? What would need to change? 
Right. I do. And that that's what's so frustrating about the problem, that there are so many smart people who have studied these issues, who care about this, who have a deep understanding and are able to solve these problems. And the challenge comes when those who are in power and those who might eventually have the power at these companies, not empowering those experts to implement those solutions and what they already know works. I think it's it's hard enough to actually solve these problems, but I feel like we have an abundance of smart, talented people working on these problems. What they don't necessarily have is the level of empowerment necessary to to solve these problems within the companies that have the power to actually make a difference. Yeah. And I would add to that, that oftentimes they're also not invited to the table where people are talking about these problems to begin with. I mean, I think one of the frustrations that I see is that you know, I teach English majors and I talk to humanities students and they really do have an in-depth knowledge of things like why and how people believe in misinformation or they have an understanding of and they come from communities that have been affected by algorithmic bias. And they go into the humanities because the humanities offers them opportunities to explore these issues and their relationship to systems of power. And then they are systematically shut out of jobs that would offer them the opportunity to engage those skills in an area that would allow them to have an impact because of things like, you know, you and I have talked about this offline, automated resume scanners or ARSs or the structure of hiring that expects or assumes people to have these kind of various skill sets in ways that are not commensurate with the actual function that an ethical worker would need to, in order to make that intervention. And so I see a number of entangled problems or issues around how you get people in the space where they can make an impact. And part of it is just rethinking or recalibrating who belongs at that table. How do you think about this? And what do you think some of the blockages or stop gaps are in the process of bringing a more inclusive, more intellectually diverse um, workforce to thinking about these issues and not only thinking about them, but actually impacting their structure and their outcomes. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. I think that's one thing that all tech as human strives to do is open up this, this community and these opportunities for, you know, networking, mentorship, the job board, the Slack group where people can actually compare notes and speak with one another. And within the all tech as human community, there are individuals at every level of their career. So you have people who are more deeply immersed in the field, who've been at it a while, who are able to give guidance and open up opportunities for young talent. It's crucial that as many people as possible are able to have a seat at the table and are able to actually make an impact within these companies. I think there's what you were speaking to with resume scanners. It's a huge issue. I also find that as these teams are new, the person who's building the team or who has um, initiated putting the team together doesn't necessarily have a strong sense of what the team should look like or what the skills required are. Um, they might think that it's, you know, that one person can fulfill way too many jobs. It's challenging to find somebody with exactly the right skill set to come in and start up a team at one of these companies. I think it's there are a lot of challenges, but as the field matures, I think these opportunities are going to be more and more available for younger people to be able to come in and make an impact. And the teams that already have these roles available 
I think it becomes extremely important to retain the talent that they have. And that's where you run into um, some of the problems we'd been talking about earlier, where you can have a lot of effort spent on hiring a diverse workforce, but then no effort on retaining them um, and making sure that the workplace culture is inclusive and welcoming to the people that have already been hired. I think these are issues that need to be focused on so that the tech products that get designed and developed and deployed actually are not harming vulnerable populations. Um, we need everyone's voice at the table to make that happen. I agree with you. I think I think these are issues that will need to be funded and focused on as we move forward and as the field matures. I mean, there's the other issue, which is that you can hire as many ethical workers as you want. And we've already, already talked about the ways that incentive structures might inhibit their ability to be functional. But the other part is, you know, there seems to be like this assumption that what an ethical technology or responsible technology worker should do is just come in and wave a magic wand and, you know, police people when they're not being ethical. Broadly speaking, there isn't, at least to me, a metric of what an ethical technology uh, worker ought to contribute or what success would look like in those terms. And when you don't have that, you really deplete a worker's ability to do their job well because there is no calibration system for what their work would look like if it is functional. And there really is no specific intervention or understanding of what that intervention very specifically ought to look like in a life cycle of ideating, developing, putting together, and then distributing a product. And you really, I think, kind of cripple the ability of somebody to be functional when you have this kind of hazy ethical magic wand, ethical tech worker structure rather than a kind of specific intervention in mind with a specific metric and outcome. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I feel like what ends up happening as we're trying to make a significant impact on um, the tech industry, you have, you know, these kind of siloed teams that are developing. And I think the idea and the hope of everyone within, you know, the responsible tech industry is to eventually have these types of roles dispersed throughout companies to have it be just a fully integrated part of um, all of the processes within a company. Obviously there's a really long way to go before we get there, but I feel like it, it also is incumbent on an organization like All Tech is Human that really tries to focus on bringing in a diverse talent pool in every sense of the word, in a multidisciplinary talent pool. And then you have other organizations that focus very important efforts on basically taking the existing workforce, like, you know, computer science students at Stanford and trying to bring ethics to those students who uh, are already in a really good position to become a part of the tech workforce. And I think it takes kind of both of those strategies of incorporating ethics into a general computer science curriculum, as well as trying to broaden the type of worker that is empowered to go into the tech industry to begin with. The hope is that eventually um, you would have workers all across the board who care about this, who know about this, and who can apply this to their work within the tech industry. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think about this a lot in thinking about how we want to develop models for curricula and training that would allow people to become successful in these roles. And 
you know, the two models that seem to come out is on the one hand, integrating ethics into something like the computer science uh, curriculum structure already so that you have engineers who are graduating with some sort of ethical structure. And then the other model seems to be, well, hire workers who have specific ethical training so that you don't task the engineers with also having to have an advanced understanding of ethics. And I think like on a certain level, I, as they say, an improv, I'm a yes and kind of thinker on this. But also, you know, I see the kind of wisdom in excluding one or the other. On the one hand, as somebody who comes out of my training with a doctorate in you know, thinking about philosophical traditions and having a very intensive background in thinking about things like power structures and equity and all of those things, to me, it seems to be a little bit of hubris to say that somebody who has a little dabble or sprinkle of those things can compensate for or you know, can substitute for having somebody who actually has a sustained, very long-term technical background in thinking about things like ethics. Like sometimes I get invited to speak on AI panels, and I've said this multiple times on the show, and you know, we'll spend the first five minutes talking about AI and then the next 55 minutes talking about ethics. And I'm the only person with a humanities background in the room. And I get up on those panels and I say, I'm really glad that we're all talking about these things. But just so you know, just as you have a eight-year degree and a you know career where you have spent learning the technological expertise that allows you to develop these products, there are people who like spend eight years of their lives getting well-versed and immersed in the technical dimensions of a philosophical tradition so that they can make careful, thoughtful, very well-informed reasoning about ethics. And we ought to give that expertise some credit and we might want to kind of honor that. And so on the one hand, I am a little skeptical of this idea that you can sprinkle enough ethics into a technical curriculum to discharge any seats at the table that might be left to people with humanities backgrounds. And at the same time, I don't want a tech structure as well, where the technologists or the engineers say, well, we don't have to think about ethics at all. We're just developing these technologies. That's work for those people over there. So I see kind of the benefits uh, and the drawbacks to each. How do you think about these two kind of models or possibilities of what ethical technology in the workforce might look like. Yeah, well said. I I do feel like the both and that you described is, I think is important. And I, I do feel that way as well. Um, but I do lean toward feeling like people who have studied this and who have a deep understanding. At this point, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of graduates now coming through who do have like a CS undergrad and then have gotten a master's or a PhD in more of a sociological area of study. And and I think those individuals, we kind of joke about that at All Tech is Human, that they're unicorns and that, you know, these are the types of individuals that will thrive within those roles, that will really be able to bring the best of both worlds to be able to understand all aspects of what's required uh, within this kind of role. As those types of people are coming through the academic pipeline, in the meantime, it, it's, it is very important, I think, to have teams of individuals who each have their own area of expertise, but who collaborate with one another. I think the, it's not necessary for every computer scientist to also you know, have a strong background in ethics, but I, I think there's value in having like 
a sense of, of even why they should care about this, how what they're, you know, the technology that they're creating is going to have an impact on society and that that actually matters. In the meantime, it's crucial to have multiple voices working together to be able to collaborate and build together and at the design stage as well, not just for the ethicist to come in kind of at the end of the process and say, you know, to point out problems, but really to be integrated into all aspects of creating new technologies. Yeah. So I would say I do uh, lean more toward um, feeling like we need individuals who have a deep understanding of the sociological implications and of the social sciences and the humanities uh, that they can bring to a tech company that is their area of expertise and that is what they can uh, contribute to the development and deployment of these technologies. Last question. I've been very impressed and enthused by your optimism throughout the conversation about the future of tech turning toward responsibility or ethics or public interest or any or all of these things. <laughs> so give me your best market pitch for that optimism. What keeps you optimistic? Why should we be optimistic? Yes, I, I do feel like the amount of time I've spent in the field studying these roles it has been hopeful to see that companies understand that they have to care about this. I know that because these teams keep popping up every month. There's another uh, team popping up at another company. I think not only are these teams exploding in number, but because of my work at All Tech as Human, I'm privy every day to the strong community of people who really are deeply committed to these issues, who do um, want to make as much of an impact as they can. And they're talented and they're working in every sector um, and they're coming from every discipline and i think this committed and values-driven workforce is growing and that they are and will increasingly impact these technologies that are being built by these companies we need a strong and thriving and robust community to support each other and to keep each other focused and excited about the work so uh, that is what keeps me optimistic, although there are so many problems. Recently, All Tech as Human just had um, a Responsible Tech Summit in New York last Friday at the um, Canadian Consulate in New York City. And it's so energizing seeing all these different people who care about these issues, who are able to make an impact, coming together, comparing notes, and energizing the next generation of workers who are going to be doing the same. That keeps me optimistic. Thanks so much, Rebecca. Thank you, Deb. And that's all for this season. We are off for the summer, but we'll be back in September with a brand new episodes of Technically Human. Until then, check out our archives and tell us what you think with an Apple podcast review. For more information about ethics and technology or to see what we are up to, you can visit our website at www.etcalpoly.org. Enjoy the summer and we'll see you in September.